The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read to you a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just as a note, because I am preaching out of the pulpit, just as a reminder, pulpits did not exist until like around the 15th century, so if it was okay for the first 1,400 years of the church, it's okay for us. So, anyway, um, today's read, the gospel lesson was the feeding of the 5,000. So kind of we have to, before, as we get to that, we have to step backwards a little bit. So, Prior to this, the very beginning of Mark 16, it begins with Jesus preaching and teaching in Nazareth and him being rejected. Nazareth is his hometown. That's where he grew up. He was rejected there. The next, then the next section is the disciples being sent out one by one to the villages, to the countryside, to preach the gospel. And being told that they would be rejected. And so, some people did reject them. And then, the next section, and this is what was the gospel lesson last Sunday, is John the Baptist, who was arrested because he spoke out against Herod's inappropriate relationship. Which, by the way, if anybody ever says to you, Christians never say anything about marriage, and they should just keep quiet about it, Remind them of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was arrested because he spoke out about an improper relationship. About what someone was doing behind closed doors. And he was beheaded for it. That's why he was arrested and beheaded. It was not because he preached the gospel. It was because he preached the law against the relationship of Herod to Herod the what? Herod was having a relationship with his brother's wife. So, but still, it's an inappropriate relationship. That was what was being spoken against. That's why he got arrested and he was killed. So, all of this has happened. And so, Jesus and the disciples, they come ashore. And this huge crowd is coming. The crowd is mostly coming because John the Baptist is dead. John had many followers, so they are seeking him out. They're seeking out Jesus because Jesus was the one of whom John said, the one who, who I baptize is the one I am unworthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. That guy, that's who Jesus is. And so they know about that, so that's where they go. And it's, so there they are, beside this crystal blue sea. And Jesus looks on them like sheep without a shepherd. And so he makes them sit down in green grass. And he begins to teach them and preach to them and minister to them. We don't know what he said, but we know it ended up being a very lengthy sermon. Because it was so long that eventually his disciples, if they had a watch, would be like, we gotta, they got to go eat. But, Jesus himself says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in other words, the word of God is actually more important to you than bread for your bellies. So, because he did not want them to stop hearing his word, 
They were like, well, nope, we got to find something for them. And so he turns to the disciples, what, do you, what are you going to do? And the disciples are looking at us like, by the way, notice it said 5,000 men. The other scriptures do detail that there are also women and children that were there. And so, and estimates have it that there are anywhere from 11 to 15,000 people. And so all they have is five loaves of bread. And this is not like loaves of bread that you get at the grocery store. These loaves of bread, your average loaf of bread at that time would be enough to feed about two people. So you basically have enough food to feed 10 people. And yet you've got 11, 11 to 15,000 people. You're going to have to cut some really small slivers. Like, here you go. Crumb for you, crumb for you. And that's, that's pretty much all they could do with what they had. And then Jesus, right before them, prepares a meal. Prepares a table before them. And a table that the baskets end up overflowing. And they are well fed. Anybody catching something here? Next to still waters, shepherd without a sheep, but sheep without a shepherd, making it to sit down on green grass, prepare a table before them, it overflows. We just said that. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, what Jesus is, so, and then add to this. Where is it that after somebody has died, you hear a sermon preached to you, and you spend time with people who love that person, and you hear Psalm 23 read to you? A funeral, right? The feeding of the 5,000 was the funeral for John the Baptist. That's what they were gathering for. But the thing is, instead of reading Psalm 23, Jesus didn't read it because he was showing to them right then and there that Psalm 23 is all about him. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who prepares a table before them of which it overflows. They are the ones that are wandering in a they are the ones that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death as they, as they know Jesus himself was rejected. The disciples were being rejected. The, John the Baptist was killed. So they are being reminded that they walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And there is their shepherd preparing a table for them. So this, so how does this go to us? Well, we too wander through the valley of the shadow of death. This last, this last week, I actually kind of preached a version of this at the two nurse at both Willowdale and Morningside. And the thing is, is for those who, who've lived in a nursing home or have had experience with a nursing home, ever do you have a reminder of the valley of the shadow of death right there? And I say that because people leave so often. People pass. In fact, this past Monday, 
It just so happened to be it was the same day as Vicky's funeral. And I looked over at that couch where she normally would sit, and she had been there most every time she was not in the hospital, and she wasn't there because she had passed. That is the reminder of the valley of the shadow of death we walk through. We are the ones, we are always being reminded with sickness, with weakness, with brokenness. The very fact of the matter is, is that we are all dying. We are all dying as a consequence of our sin. And there is nothing that we of our own power could do anything to, could do anything to stop it. And honestly, our physical death, it is coming. Every single one of us, unless you happen to be one of the really rare numbers who are here when Jesus returns. In that case, then you get to skip that. There's going to be a few people that get to do that. But they're in the minority. Most of us are going to die because of our sin. Our, because of sin, our bodies are decaying. It's breaking. And we can feel it in our joints. We wander through the valley of the shadow of death. And we live in a world where being a follower of the shepherd is not acceptable anymore. More and more, Christianity is going to be rejected. Actually, this afternoon, I was over at Mission Central. And I got to hear um, three different um, individuals um, speak, three missionaries, one from Ethiopia, one from Russia, and one from South Korea. If you know the history of North Korea, of, of, yeah, North Korea, actually not even history, the current state in North Korea, right now North Korea is the worst country on the planet to be a Christian. It is a place where if you are a Christian, it's pretty much guaranteed you're going to be arrested or killed if they ever find, you, find out about it. The, so, the Russia, Russia right now is being increasingly becoming Christian again. But many people in that country still remember the reign of Joseph Stalin, who looked at the Christians and said, <coughs> he said, you want to know what's wrong with this country? Those people. We need to kill them. Have you ever wonder what it looks like when the secular government takes control? Look at the Soviet Union. Look at China. Look at North Korea. That is what a truly godless government looks like. Because in their governments, they are atheist, and belief in God is not tolerable. If you believe in him, you'll be arrested or killed. How many of you know what's going on in Nigeria right now? Nigeria in this last year, Nigeria has 80 million Christians, which is actually a pretty good number. It's one of the most Christian nations in Africa. And yet, in the last year, 12,000 Christians have been killed for being a Christian in that country. According to estimates from their own State Department, if something isn't done to stop it, Christianity will be wiped out from Nigeria by 2050. 
by persecution. In our own country, being a Christian is still is increasingly becoming hostile. Do not be fooled into think that it will never happen in this country. All you need to do is look at the way people talk on the internet about Christians. Now that's what they talk about on the internet. They, I've actually was reading people just the other day, you know about that tornado in Marshalltown? People on the internet were saying they deserved it because they're conservative. There is a lot of hate for Christianity in our country. That is what's being spoken on the internet message boards. But the crazy thing is many of the things that are spoken on the message boards 10 years ago are spoken in public now. What do you think is going to happen 10 years from now with that? We live in a nation where Christianity is going to be challenged. And we as Christians are called to wake up to what is going on. But before, but as that we wake up, we are reminded that we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd who has overcome the world, who felt the full brunt of the force and the, the anger of the world, and he took the scorns, he took the stripes, he was broken, he was beaten, and he even died, and he got better. See, because he is our shepherd, no matter what may happen to our body as we wander through the valley of the shadow of death, because we do walk beside still waters, because he does prepare a table before us where the cup overflows, not overflows of bread, because you only get a little itty-bitty piece, you only get a little cup of wine. It's not the bread and the wine that overflows, it's the forgiveness of sins. You receive more forgiveness than you will ever need. You are forgiven for sins that you have never committed. You are forgiven for sins that you have yet to commit. Now, this isn't an excuse to do whatever you want, but you are forgiven. You have received grace upon grace. You have received mercy beyond measure. Because he is your shepherd who shed his blood for you, who laid his life down for you, his sheep. So, listen to what Revelation 7 says. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, 
These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now I want you to note the great tribulation. Now there are two different types ways the great tribulation is referred to in the Bible. The one is the one that most people know. The great tribulation where the sun's going to is going to become dark, the stars are going to fall, the moon's going to turn to blood, all that. That's one, ver that's one great tribulation. That is not the one being talked about here. Because the key word is that these are the ones coming out. It's not saying these are the ones who will come out. These are the ones coming out. Notice it's present tense. Meaning, the great tribulation is right now. It is every single life is a great tribulation. So, I use the example of Vicki Logovitz. If you knew her, she had a rock-solid faith. The thing that actually that stood out to me is I remember way back in December, we had a, um, we did the Bible reading marathon over at um, the rec center. She had just come out of the hospital. And yet, she was in church that morning. And later that day, she, was, she read two rounds of, the, of, of Scripture out of that Bible reading marathon. Because she had an absolute thirst for hearing God's Word. When other myself or Pastor Salcedo ever visited her, she would not let us go f get long without reading the Bible to her. She had a rock-solid faith. And that, for that reason, when she passed, she became a member of those who wore robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, that's describing people like Vicky and anyone and everyone that has ever died in the faith. A robe of righteousness that was received at the still waters that is worn for a wedding feast that is celebrated at the Lord's Supper. There's a reason why we pastors wear this. This is a preview of coming attractions. It's a reminder that you yourself have a robe of righteousness made white in the blood of the Lamb that you received when you were baptized that you will fully realize when you stand before Christ and you will be there before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will shelter you with His presence. You shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike you. And since we're in Iowa, I have to say, the, the, the cold will not blister you, so nor, any, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be your shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, Jesus, as he stands before those, that five, those thousands of people, he is showing to them that he is the good shepherd spoken of in Psalm 23, and he's pointing forward to a future reality. A reality that even those who are in that host are awaiting. The ultimate hope, the ultimate reality, the ultimate goal, the ultimate place is when God, Jesus is going to walk through every single cemetery and he's going to go to him and he's going to say, wake up, wake up. Think of like, imagine like Fort Snelling and 
uh, Minnesota, that huge cemetery, or, um, or Arlington National Cemetery in, um, in um, Arlington, Virginia. You know, any of those type of really massive cemeteries, imagine Jesus walking through there and saying to every single one of them, hey, get up, wake up, time to go. And they will wake up bodies strong. For the valley of the shadow of death will be no more. And they will follow the words, the voice of their good shepherd to the table prepared for them. In, in the midst of green grass, beside still waters, in a cup, and a table, a meal, a banquet, a feast that runneth over. Think of your favorite foods. It will outdo all of that. Till that day comes, to Jesus be all glory. Amen.